Welcome to Inside the Founder Studio with the California Technology Council, where we bring you perspectives directly from startup founders and investors in every episode. Now we turn to our host in our Northern California headquarters, Matt Gardner, founder of the California Technology Council. This episode of Inside the Founder Studio is combined with our series called Startup Spotlight. And in this episode, we're taking a closer look at the biotech community in Seattle with Chris Rivera, CEO of the Washington Biotech and Biomedical Association. First, here's a quick word from our sponsors at Office Depot. Leading a startup team? Hi, this is Janet McTaggart with Office Depot. Whether you're delivering a sugar rush, stocking coffee, or setting up a regular delivery of snacks, Office Depot has solutions that fit every startup culture. From getting those first business cards and stationery to ordering fleece pullovers with your new logo, Office Depot can help. Learn about how Office Depot and the California Technology Council have partnered to bring you savings on all these startup essentials and more at californiatechnology.org forward slash member benefits. Thank you, Janet. And for all the latest that CTC is up to, be sure to check out californiatechnology.org. Prior to taking the helm at the WBBA, Chris was a co-founder of a biotech company called Hyperion, based in Northern California. We talked through that experience, as well as his comparative views of raising money for a nonprofit trade association versus raising funds for a venture-backed biotech startup. We also get a glimpse of a new series of CTC podcasts on digital health. On this episode of Inside the Founder Studio, we're speaking with Chris Rivera, the CEO of the Washington Biotechnology and Biomedical Association. Chris, thanks for joining us. My pleasure, Matt. Good to be here. So, Chris, you've ended up now as the CEO of a trade association, but you got there by a path through the private sector that ultimately led you to be the founder of a biotech company called Hyperion in the Bay Area. Uh, Can you tell us about uh, how that journey led you to this role as the CEO of Washington State Biotech Organization? Sure. So it really started back in the mid-'80s. I moved to Washington State to go to business school. And um, out of of business school, I got into the industry. I got into the biotech, biopharma industry. And uh, shortly thereafter, I actually also met my wife, who's from the Seattle area. So we ended up getting married, had a couple of kids. And I was very fortunate early in my career to be hired and recruited by some of the early stage biotech companies back then called Centicor and Cephalon, helped them in their very first commercialization organization. Then I got recruited over to Genzyme and spent almost eight years there. Um, But during the whole time, I was actually commuting from Seattle to Boston to run a couple of their, their business units and help them start another one. And finally, after about seven, seven and a half years, I realized I wasn't going to relocate, and the kids were young, and I didn't want to continue to be on an airplane the rest of my life. So I left Genzyme and came to work for a small, a mid-sized biotech company back then in Seattle called Carixa, and um, which ended up we helped you know sell the company off the GSK. From that point, I started doing the same thing, but now in the Bay Area, was uh, head of, of uh, commercialization and licensing for a company called Tersica that I led a cross-licensing transaction with a French company called Ipsen that ended up being an acquisition. And uh, one day, I was uh, actually at home, and my cell phone rang, and it was a former colleague of mine at Genzyme that was now with a VC firm called NEA that said, hey, how would you, would you like to be a uh, founding CEO? And no idea what he was talking about. Uh, went down and talked to him, and uh, he 
convinced me that the, the, their firm was looking for some uh, potential entrepreneurs, seasoned experienced executives that could uh, be seed funded and go out and find assets and start a company. And that's really how Hyperion was founded. Well, gosh, there was a lot there, Chris. So let's go back first to that, uh, that monster commute. That might be a winner for uh, Monday morning traffic time. Uh, about as far as you can go across the country from, from Seattle to Boston. Exactly. Uh, Got to be a tough lifestyle, too. So um, how did you find that impacted uh, everything else in your life, that kind of distance? Yeah, it wasn't ideal, um, especially the first couple of years. There wasn't even a nonstop direct from Seattle to Boston. I had to connect, you know, through either uh, Chicago or Dulles or Denver. Um, you know, knock on wood, fortunately, my wife and I have been happily married for 26 years now, both of my kids. Um, well, my son will be finishing up college this year. My daughter finished and graduated in 2012, and uh, we, we have great relationships. Um, it wasn't easy, but we had to make, I had to make the decision of either relocating the family or getting on an airplane. And, uh, you know, Genzyme was such, during the mid-90s and early 2000s, um, it was such a phenomenal place to be. We were doing things that nobody in the industry had ever done before. It was just, uh, you know, a, a great job, and, and my wife realized that. We both realized that we needed to make sacrifices, which we did, and fortunately, in the long run, uh, they worked out. And so, you know, maybe unfortunately now I'm a million-mile flyer on several different airlines, but, uh, you know, that was, uh, I guess, one of the consequences that I had to pay. I was just about to ask you, you know, George Clooney, uh, you know, gives up everything and up in the air to get to a million miles, so clearly you hit that. <laughs> Yes. So uh, Hyperion, of course, then uh, gives you this uh, role as a as a co-founder here in the Bay Area. Can you tell us a little bit more about uh, about that founding process and and what you went through to to get Hyperion up and running? Well, we you know we identified some different assets um, that you know companies weren't either commercializing or developing. So, um, but the lead asset that the, the lead asset that we found was a division of a dermatology company out of Scottsdale called Medicis, but the division was called Ecycloid Pharma. And they had some, uh, some products um, actually in the marketplace for a rare disease called urea cycle disorders. And obviously I came out of the orphan disease area with Genzyme and Tersica and, and others. So it really fit what we were trying to do. And they announced publicly that they were going to um, sell off this division um, to the highest bidder. So we went into, uh, uh, we actually UBS was the, was the bank and we went into a, a, a bidding war and I went down to Scottsdale with a couple of my board members and a couple of, uh, you know, of, of colleagues and we convinced them that we would be the best company to develop uh, a, a next generation drug which is now in the marketplace, and be able to not only develop it but commercialize it for them because of our experience. So uh, we were able to do that. We were successful. Um, we, I launched, uh, we, we closed the, uh, the deal. Uh, I raised a B round of about $45 million, and uh, we moved, started moving forward, hiring very quickly. We were co-promoting those two drugs that were in the marketplace. Um, and then uh, lo, lo and behold, unannounced to anybody, I think, uh, around, the, around the world, the, uh, the recession hit shortly thereafter. So we kind of had to, to reset everything and, uh, and go from there. Now, Hyperion was part of a, a uh, was it a portfolio merger, essentially, that became Hyperion? Right. So we actually spun out Ucyclid into, into uh, what was the newly formed company, Hyperion. Okay. And then, uh, and then somewhere in this path... Uh, the CEO role at WBBA opens up. How did you hear about it, and, and was it 
uh, was it just, uh, you know, a good fortune or was the timing right for you to come home? How did that work out? Yeah, it was, you know, again, as I mentioned, the, I was actually back in Washington, D.C. meeting with the FDA um, in March of 2008 when, you know, Bear Stearns and Lehman, et cetera, started melting down. I had a board meeting a few weeks later, and in conversations with several of my board members and investors, you know, one of the things we had been planning for was to start to file an S-1 later that year and try to go on the road in 2009 and, and go public. Obviously, the, the public markets were no longer available to small biotechs or many other, or, or much, or, or very many others. Um, so the 45 million, I had just hired my, my chief medical officer, Bruce Charsmith, who's still there. He had just come out of, of Chiron slash Novartis. He's a, he's a hepatologist, which we were a liver company. And uh, so the thought was, well, we have enough capital to get our lead compound through phase two, which we had just started phase two. And uh, so we told the board that if it works, um, hopefully we can raise a, a, a round C sometime with good positive data. If it doesn't work, then we probably would shut the company down. So I scaled the company back from about 50 employees to eight, roughly, just to my, um, my, my clinical and regulatory folks. And because I was flying back and forth to San Francisco basically every Monday, um, it didn't make sense. You know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a business development guy, and I'm not a drug developer. So because the company had really gone from trying to, you know, build a portfolio of products out, which we would have done with a successful IPO, to just now a single product that we were in a phase two trial with, um, I actually stepped down as active CEO. And then when uh, we hit successful phase two, the company was able to raise, uh, I think, about another $69 million in June of 2009, which I still, I think in 2009, it was one of the top two or three venture raises for that year. But obviously, it wasn't easy, and it was uh, pretty dilutive, but the company was able to succeed and move forward. So during this time, I was actually up here in Seattle, and a good friend of mine who's an executive recruiter who actually helped me find and recruit my CFO at Hyperion, um, had just, he called me and said, look, I want to talk to you about something. What are you doing? I kind of told him what was happening. And he said, well, the WBA's president just announced he was going to step down at the end of the year. Would that be something you'd be interested in? You, you wouldn't have to get on an airplane. And, you know, so we talked about it. At first I thought, nah, I'm not, that's nothing I was interested in. Um, he, he convinced me that he said, you know, the head of the search committee, who was Bruce Carter, who was the former, who at that time was the CEO and chairman of Zymogenetics up here, he says, Bruce wants to have lunch with you to talk to you about it. And, you know, if you're in Seattle, Bruce is kind of one of the local biotech godfathers. You don't say no to Bruce. So after about two hours, Bruce convinced me to go through the process. And for me, the motivation really was I had just spent, you know, 20-plus years, for the most part, on an airplane going to either Boston or San Francisco, and I was frustrated because there wasn't a, a real stable biotech community here in Seattle, and especially for people like me that were more business development and commercial uh, backgrounds. So, and I had a lot of friends that lived in Seattle that had to relocate to either California or Massachusetts just because they couldn't either find a job here and or they didn't want to commute like I did. So for me, it was an opportunity. My daughter was just about to go to college. She wanted to go into bio, bioengineering. And, um, you know, I thought it'd be a great opportunity. I thought I'd spend three to five years to really help to build the Seattle community so that people like me wouldn't either have to move away or commute. They could actually find really good jobs here and, you know, help to build the Seattle uh, biotech community. And I think we've done that. Actually, 
it's already been seven years since I've been doing this job, which is uh, surprising. The time's gone by fa really fast, but I think Seattle is really coming up on the map, and you know, there's been more activity and in, in investments and mergers and IPOs here in Washington State in the last 24 months than there probably has been in the last two or three, potentially two or a couple decades. Well, so it's been a great run for you there, Chris. Let me ask you about uh, some of the things that we deal with uh, running, uh, you know, regional innovation councils like these. Uh, as you know, the time that I spent at Bay Bio before here at the California Technology Council is very similar, and the organizations are very similar, but the resources are also vastly different than what you experienced at Genzyme and, and then counting the $45 million fundraise at Hyperion. I'm sure we could laugh about that, but it is a very different lifestyle. So can you talk about how that, uh, that record that you had in the private sector has influenced your, your thinking and your, your, uh, your path in uh, building a new WBBA? I mean, it's helped tremendously. I think, first of all, understanding the market, uh, understanding the industry and the sector and what it really takes um, has been extremely beneficial, especially guiding through, guiding the organization through the worst recession we've had in our lifetime. Um, you know, one of the things we started doing and that I was asked to start to do was to help to mentor startup companies. We, we wanted to build the local community from the ground up with a strong, we, we all believe that if you had a, a strong startup community, a lot of those companies would grow and eventually hopefully stay here and become large companies, or even if they got acquired, hopefully the acquirer would stay here, Don't, uh, realizing there's a, a huge talent pool here. So we started our commercialization support. We've mentored, we, we provide pro bono mentorship. Um, we have now mentored over 400 new startups since 2009, 150 alone this year. Uh, we have the community really engaged in that. We have a lot of experienced people that are giving back to the community and helping new entrepreneurs start their companies and grow their companies and raise money. As I mentioned, we've had more capital investments here in the last 18, 24 months, almost $4 billion um, in, in, in that time period. And, you know, it's really helped to grow and, and bring the community together. So having that experience was invaluable. Having done it myself uh, and succeeded and failed, I think, was very helpful. And, you know, really trying to get entrepreneurs' mindset and business plans right from the beginning just increases their chance of success and probability of raising that money and getting to where they need to go. So I think having that ability, that skill set, and that experience has been ex extremely helpful to the organization and to the community. That's a really interesting uh uh, initiative to take on too to to deliberately try and deliver that mentorship. Have you crafted a program to have WBBA serve as a virtual accelerator, or is basically the whole organization breathing that kind of life into early stage companies now? Um, so yeah, we've actually started. So when we started our commercialization program, we used to fly a, a consultant up from the Bay Area actually one day a month, and we started with a summer intern in 2009. We quickly realized that. We needed more than that. We now have two consultants that come in weekly to meet with startups and CEOs, again, pro bono. Um, we now, I now have four full-time FTEs that are focused just on the mentorship. We now have, uh, uh, we started our own MedTech Angel Group in 2010 called Wings. It is invested in 18 different companies. Uh, we host um, multinational strategics and venture funds here and help introduce them to to our member and startup companies. Um, we just had a, what we call, the, we call those venture investor and partnering forums or VIP forums. We just had one a couple weeks ago for in digital health. Uh, and we had three VCs from all over the country and they met with 50 different local companies. So 
those are the kinds of now infrastructure we have built. It's probably the, the most productive. So we started, when I started, we had four and a half FTEs. We now have 13. And a big part of what we do as an organization is this commercialization support. So Chris, obviously when, when we, you know, are building membership in a trade association, the ask that you make of new members is sometimes significant for an early stage company to dedicate some amount of their very finite resources to joining. When you juxtapose that against what you were doing to raise $45 million for Hyperion, how does that keep you in perspective on uh, what you're trying to do to contribute value to, you know, early stage companies joining WBBA? Yeah, I think, I think you said the key word is value. Um, whether you're raising money from VCs, angels, uh, strategic partners, or you're asking a young startup company to join and, you know, provide whatever resources they need to, you have to demonstrate value. And, you know, kind of go back, I started my career in sales, and it goes back to, the, you know, sales training 101, whip them, what's in it for me? And you have to think about if they're sitting, if you were sitting on the other side of that table, what would they, what, what would interest them, whether they are going to give you money to raise, to start a company or whether they're going to give you money to join your association, what value are they going to get out of it? So I think you really have to think through the value proposition. And, and actually, we take that kind of mindset to our startup entrepreneurs. As you're aware in life sciences, a lot of entrepreneurs, first-time CEOs, they're scientists. They're, it's, their, it's their intellectual property that they discovered in graduate school or in the lab. They haven't run companies before. Many of them have not gone to business school. They haven't done this. So you have to give them that kind of mindset shift of, you know, what's the value proposition? How do you go out and convince investors to, to give you money? How are you going to provide value and return back on that investment for them? So we take the same approach with the trade, as a trade association. You know, one of the things that we like to do, Chris, with our guests here is uh, give them a, a little bit of a unique power. So we're going to hand you a time machine. Now, this is going to give you the opportunity to Go back to before you set out on this course with WBBA and give yourself some feedback or some warnings about things that are coming. But we're going to limit this. You, this power only exists for 10 seconds. So you get to tell yourself one thing. Uh, so, Chris, if you're getting in the time machine, you're going back to before you started at WBBA, what's the one thing you would tell yourself? Be creative and be open-minded. I think those are the main things. It's just uh... – it's a unique opportunity. It's a great organization and uh, great people and industry that's phenomenal and growing. Yeah, so there's a, that's a great point about the, the industry being an inspiring one to work in, and it makes it easy to get up and go to work every day. Uh, but you're also building an organization or rebuilding it, and, and you mentioned you're trying to focus on local growth stories in order to, to rebuild the local biotech community. Uh, so the flip side of that equation is what keeps you up at night? You're an entrepreneur. You've We've done this on the private side as well as now in the kind of the NGO side. What keeps you awake at night as you're uh, as you're going through now into your seventh eighth year at WBBA? Uh, what's next? You know, how do we how do we keep growing this? What are the what are the needs of the of the industry that we can help address and help continue the the trajectory that the industry has, has been showing the last few years? Um, there's always something new, and you know what you know you have to be creative, you have to be thoughtful. Um, and look at the resources that we have here and how do we, how do we leverage those things. Now, when you were a, um, an early-stage company CEO, you obviously had investors that you could call on for support. Uh, here's another question we love to ask our guests. Who's your first call? We call this our call to the bullpen. Who do you call from the bullpen when you need uh, that, that first reference point for help? My first call is probably – I've had some great chairmen. Um, 
current and past, uh, they're probably my first go-to guys because they spent, have spent a lot of time with the organization, not, not only since I've been here, but before they've been here. But they also come from very different parts of the industry, and they've had a variety of experience, experiences, both entrepreneurial as well as organizationally. Um, so they're usually the first ones I call and ask advice for. You mentioned digital health. So one of the things about the Seattle organization and the community that you support is that you've got an interesting kind of crossover there between biotech and, and biomed. Your digital health initiative is, uh, is something that's being echoed around the country right now. In fact, it's, uh, it's relatively easier to do health IT than it is to do wet lab-based biotech. So one of the things that's uh, showing up in the trend data is that this is happening in uh, communities that might be less traditional biotech spaces. How is that shaping the current uh, biotech community in Seattle, and, and what does that tell you about uh, where you might be headed? Yeah, I think it's a great point. I think digital health is really transforming healthcare in, in, in specific as well as in general senses. Um, you know, we have some of the greatest thought leaders in that space, and Lee Hood, you know, he's um, far advanced on the personalized medicine side. He just spun out a company that's focused on prevention, which is, it'll be interesting to see, um, you know, how reimbursement and how you, you know, kind of make money on prevention. Um, but I think the unique thing, obviously with Seattle, you mentioned our strong uh, IT roots with Microsoft and Amazon being up here. You know, a lot of the, the big, you know, IT companies like Facebook and Google now have outposts up here in Seattle. So we have a very strong tech community. Um, we've had a strong biotech and life sciences community. Um, the other, I think, kind of aspect that's unique here in, in Seattle is, you know, outside of Geneva, Switzerland, Seattle probably has the largest and highest concentration of global health organizations. And a lot of these organizations, like the Gates Foundation and others, are, have been using software and, uh, for, for healthcare um, in, in developing countries. So we're learning from them as well and vice versa. So the thing that's unique about Washington and Seattle in particular, at least I, that I didn't experience in either Boston or the Bay Area, it's a very, very collaborative community. And I actually have a, a quote from Novo Nordisk. When Novo Nordisk opened up their, their uh, North American uh, research headquarters here, they gave me a quote. So the reason they chose Seattle over Boston was because of what they called the coopetition that they found in Seattle. And I said, well, what's coopetition? They said, well, we didn't find anywhere else in the world where we could have academics, nonprofits, and industry all sit down at the table together and work collaboratively toward a, a common problem. So I think that's one of the unique factors here. And then you throw in our healthcare delivery systems. Washington State's already one of the most efficient healthcare delivery states if you look at Medicare, Medicaid rates. And again, there's another sector that's very collaborative and we've, been, we've actually been playing an integral part in, in introducing our innovative community with the healthcare delivery community. So there's a lot going on right now. It's going to be interesting to watch this over the next several years and see how this all shakes out. Um, but we really believe that Washington is a very, in a very unique place, um, and we'll see how, where it goes. All right, so I'm going to ask you the impossible question. Uh, which part of your adventure has been better, the CEO and founder of Hyperion or CEO of WBBA? You know, they've both been great. I've learned a lot. Um, you know, you always look back in hindsight. You know, the, the reality of it is if there hadn't been a recession in 2008, odds are I would have never been the CEO of WBBA. Um, but that being said, the, being the CEO here has been extremely gratifying. Um, 
you know, I, as a CEO of a biotech company, you're typically, you're working on two, three, four different objectives. So you're an inch wide, but you're a mile deep. You're, yeah, it's all you, you get up every morning thinking about how are we going to get to the clinical trial? How are we going to raise money? How are we going to go public? Those things. Here at the WBA, I'm still an inch, an inch thick, but I'm a mile wide now because, you know, we're, we have so many, we have about 650 members of the association, everything from, you know, research institutions to startups to big biotech to, you know, med tech to the digital health to veterinary medicine. So the diversity of the job is very satisfying and, and actually taking a step back and, and showing, one of the things I think people in our industry, and at least I think I'll speak for myself, for the most part, we get into this industry because most of us are pretty altruistic. We want to help other people. And at Hyperion, I wanted to help patients with urea cycle disorders. Here at the WVA, I want to, I want to help this sector and this community grow and see these companies become successful. So they've both been extremely gratifying, uh, but in very different ways. And there's, you know, there may be an, a time or opportunity where I decide to go back into the private sector as well. So we'll see, you know, where that goes as well. But um, now, the, and the reason I've been here seven years already is because obviously it's been very gratifying to, to, to run this organization. Friend and colleague, Chris Rivera, thank you very much for your time today. Thank you, Matt. It was great catching up, and uh, hopefully we see each other soon. Keep an eye out for our upcoming podcasts on digital health and cybersecurity as well as our continued series of conversations with leaders from incubators and accelerators. And of course, for the latest on our news, member benefits, and events, always be sure to check out californiatechnology.org. For sound on this episode, CTC is grateful to Scott Fowler and Scott Horwath for the two songs that you've heard here. This has been Inside the Founder Studio with the California Technology Council. We look forward to visiting with you again next time. Inside the Founder Studio is produced in Northern California by the California Technology Council.